Hello and welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. And of course, do not forget you can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Also, I want to give a quick shout-out to the New Blood Rising podcast, who were kind enough to tweet to their followers that they should listen to this fine podcast as well. Very cool of them to do, and I greatly appreciate it. Please be sure to give them a listen as well. Quick side note before we jump in this week. The episodes have typically been going up every Monday afternoon, but I was recently signed to a new promotion called Biggest Legends of Wrestling, BLOW, so I will be spending a large majority of my time training to return to in-ring action. As such, new episodes of the podcast may become less frequent, but I will certainly try to keep churning them out as often as I can, and hopefully the company doesn't do wellness testing. But anyway, alright my friends, we have a special treat for you this time. Because joining us this week to review the February 16th, 1998 episode of Monday Night Raw is Adam, the host of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, which is now in its fifth year of existence. Adam, would you mind telling the Raw Attitude Podcast fans about the Rundown and why they should be listening to it? Sure. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Adam. I am the host of the Rundown. Uh, the Rundown is a weekly uh, weekly podcast we cover where uh, where the Raw Attitude Podcast does the 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 nostalgia thing with the old episodes of monday night raw we stick to the current uh we do news and i don't want to call it raw recaps but we react basically to to what goes on each week in the world of of, uh, mostly wwe sometimes we'll talk about tma if something particularly horrid has happened but nobody watches that so we don't really talk about them that much yeah usually i was gonna say but usually it's me and at least one other co-host uh sometimes uh your your dear friend raccoon reigns appears on that show uh, from time to time. Yeah, now I, I will uh, point out it is easy for you know someone on a podcast to say we have a talking raccoon as a co-host, but because you actually go live every Tuesday or Wednesday when you record in the video medium as well, you can actually see raccoon. We literally rings. have a talking raccoon as a co-host. Exactly, he lives in a trash can. Um, so uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes he's hard to get, but uh, but when he's available, we may make sure he comes on. There you go, and I think he'll be on the on your episode next week, right? Uh, I hope so. We're ho- we're hoping to get him to to find his uh, where he's living now and, and get him on the show for the post WrestleMania episode. Correct. Perfect. And actually, on that note, while I have you, uh, since this episode is actually going to go up the day after WrestleMania in advance, right now, a few days prior to it, are you psyched for WrestleMania? Do you have high hopes for it? What are your What are your thoughts? I am looking forward to WrestleMania. Um, I think that if uh, if you watch last night's episode of Monday Night Raw, it was not the best uh, build towards the, the the show, especially being a go home show for for the biggest pay per view of the year. Agreed. But uh, but I'm still looking forward to to the Hell in a Cell match. I'm still looking forward to the the, the Divas title match. Uh, so so I think it I think it'll be a good time. Not so much the the main event, the Triple H versus Roman Reigns match, but uh, I guess eh. can't can't win them all. I suppose. Eh, I still, I still think the Hell in a Cell will be the actual 
main event though, and this will actually close the show. Yeah, and that's something we've talked about too. Is yeah, whether Hell in a Cell actually closes the show, or whether they actually do Triple H versus Roman Reigns, potentially ending right. with you know one hundred thousand people booing the, the finish of the show. Exactly. Exactly. I, I guess we'll see. Yeah, and if you listen to this week's episode of the Rundown, that'll come out probably tomorrow night. Uh, we'll have our full WrestleMania predictions. So perfect. All right then. So, well, without further ado, shall we get into Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era? Let's. I have to tell you, I, I was excited looking just at the description for this episode on the WWE Network. Uh, not only because it's the episode where Rock gives gifts to the Nation of Domination <laughs> to show that that he still, you know, wants to be a part of the group, but also because the main event is that classic encounter between uh, Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie going up against the team of Mark Marrow and the artist formerly known as Goldust. Yeah, yeah. With a complete lack of DX on the show. <laughs> yeah. Very strange, but anyway. But before we do dive into that episode, I would of course be remiss if I did not provide a quick recap of the No Way Out of Texas pay-per-view, which happened just one night prior in Houston. So let's delve into that first. Now, Sure, I did not get a chance to watch that, but... Uh... But I'm sure that you will cover all the necessary details. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You didn't miss too much. <laughs> so, interestingly, there were several noteworthy things that happened on the episode of Free For All, which aired right before the broadcast. Most importantly, the announcement that Shawn Michaels will not be competing in the main event of the pay-per-view, as previously advertised for the past several weeks. So suck on that, everyone who ordered the show in advance and or purchased tickets. The Heartbreak Kid was not even on the show at all, which must really be a nut punch for those fans in Houston because they know his hometown of San Antonio is less than 200 miles away. This really seems like a total fuck you from the WWF to its fans, because Michaels has been seriously injured since the Royal Rumble, and the WWF is well aware of this because he hasn't wrestled on Raw or even on a house show since then, and their explanation for Sean not being on the pay-per-view was that he sustained his back injury while training during the past week. I mean, that's that's just Vince McMahon unzipping his trousers and telling the fans to unhinge their jaws like an anaconda trying to consume a water buffalo. That's ridiculous. But don't worry, folks. The WWF may have completely lied to you about HBK Wrestling tonight, but fear not, because they also announced that a replacement mystery partner will join Triple H and the New Age Outlaws in their match against Stone Cold Steve Austin, Owen Hart, Cactus Jack, and Chainsaw Charlie. Who could this man be? If you haven't already called your local cable provider to order the show, be sure to do it now, because it will certainly be an amazing surprise. Adam, do you know Do you know who it is? If you know who it is, don't say it just yet, because I want to reveal it, but... Do, do you know who they end up replacing Shawn Michaels with on this show? I don't remember. No. Oh, good. perfect. I, I can't wait to let you know this. It's great. <laughs> so the other it's fun... Do- it's Doink the Clown. <laughs> it, it just about on the same caliber. <laughs> so the other fun little moment which happened on the free-for-all was Sonny interviewing Vader backstage. Now, why was this noteworthy? Because it gave us one of the more amusing botches of all time, where Road Warrior Hawk emerged from his locker room in the middle of the interview, realized he was live on camera, bugged his eyeballs out of his skull, and then backed up right back into the locker room. Look it up sometime. It's amazing. For you Botchamania aficionados, it's the very first clip shown in Botchamania 61. So there you go. But now I'll have to go back and look for that. Oh my is god! It as good as, is, is it as good as the time as I think it was Kevin Kelly was interviewing The Rock and Pat Patterson came out of The Rock's <laughs> locker room? Yeah, that that one may actually be better just because for the context of it, like why the hell would Pat Patterson be coming out of The, <laughs> the Rock's locker room? I could actually see it would making sense that you know Road Warrior Hawk would come out of the same locker room as Vader, but yeah, when Pat Patterson came out of the Rock's locker room, that 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 pretty much just ruins the Rock's entire promo right there, doesn't it? I mean, I, I don't know. 
But anyway, let's get to the actual pay-per-view itself. The Headbangers defeated Mark Marrow and the artist formerly known as Goldust, your favorite team. Uh, Goldust still dressing up as Marilyn Manson for some reason. This match went 13 minutes, which seems astonishing considering the fact that the most over-person involved in it is Marrow's wife. And speaking of Sable, she tried to go after Luna Vachon on several occasions, but Mero and Goldust separated them. After the match, Mero got in Sable's face and berated her, as he always does, but she finally stood up for herself and shoved Mero on his ass, much to the delight of the crowd. Taka Michinoku defeated Pantera to retain his WWF Light Heavyweight Championship. You probably could guess that Taka was going to win this one since I sent Pantera to Wrestler Heaven last week, but now you know for sure. After the match, Jerry Lawler tried to restrain an angry Brian Christopher, who was also on commentary, so Taka went to the top rope and dived onto both of them. He then ran through the crowd to escape. The Godwins defeated the Quebecers, and then they proceeded to hit them with slot buckets after the match for good measure, because they're dicks. The match went an unconscionably long 11 minutes, which makes me think I should reconsider my position on wanting longer matches in the Attitude Era. Bradshaw defeated Jeff Jarrett by disqualification, so Jarrett retained his NWA North American Heavyweight Championship. After the match, the NWA started beating on Bradshaw, so the Legion of Doom ran to the ring and chased them away. The team of Ken Shamrock, Ahmed Johnson, and the Disciples of Apocalypse defeated the Nation of Domination when Shamrock got The Rock to tap out to the ankle lock. After the match, The Rock got in Farouk's face and shoved him, and when D'Lo Brown tried to get between them, Farouk hit D'Lo. The Rock then angrily left the ring and started walking up the aisle, but Farouk yelled at him and told him to get back in the ring. The Rock returned, and all five men then reluctantly did the Black Power salute together. Kane defeated Vader by hitting him with a tombstone, which was very impressive, but the finish ended up being quite comical as a microphone fell from the ceiling and dangled over the ring, <laughs> actually hitting Vader on the leg while Kane had him in the tombstone position. And once again, to give Botchamania yet another plug, you can see this clip on Matthew's recent No Way Out of Mania video. And as a side note, I can't believe there have actually been so many botches at No Way Out that they could fill a whole 15-minute video, but indeed he I'm, can. I'm not that surprised. No. <laughs> and after the match, Kane found a toolbox outside the ring, where he then proceeded to take out a hilariously large wrench and hit Vader in the face with it. Vader was then stretchered out of the arena, face down for some reason. And now, it's time for the main event. Now keep in mind, they've been hyping all night that there will be a mystery partner to replace Shawn Michaels. They've done separate interviews with Owen Hart, Cactus Jack, Chainsaw Charlie, The New Age Outlaws, Triple H, and Stone Cold Steve Austin throughout the show, asking them all how this mystery person will impact the match. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to play Howard Finkel's introduction of the mystery partner, so listen closely to see if you can hear the collective groans of 16,000 people. Oh, boy. Joining the Generation X and the New Age Outlaws, representing Los Boricuas, Savio Vega! Savio Vega being introduced to a chorus of booze. Savio fucking Vega. <laughs> that's, that's your mystery man who you spent three hours building up. A lifetime jobber who is part of the weakest stable on the roster. I understand. Hey, oh, so go ahead. Yeah. It, it could have been Quang. <laughs> yeah, I wish it was Quang. <laughs> now, I understand it somewhat makes sense from a storyline perspective since DX has paid off Los Bariquas in the past and they were helping China find Steve Austin on the previous episode of Raw, but you cannot hype Savio up to be a gigantic surprise because these sorts of reveals in wrestling are supposed to be monumental. I couldn't help but be reminded of that clip from The Simpsons where Bart shows Lisa the exact instant when Ralph Wiggum's heart is ripped in half because that's probably how I would have felt if I was a fan in attendance at that show. 
well, hometown boy Shawn Michaels isn't wrestling, but we get a big surprise instead, and it's Savio Vega. Oh, God, I've I've led a terrible life. <laughs> As for the match itself, the faces picked up the victory when Austin hit Road Dog with a stunner and pinned him. Then he hit another uh, another one, I should say, on Billy Gunn after the match and punched Triple H off the ring apron as well for good measure. China took offense to this, so she proceeded to enter the ring and shove Stone Cold not once, but twice. Austin went to leave the ring, but then China flipped him off right in his face, so Austin gave in to the temptation to hit a woman, no Deborah jokes please, giving China a stunner and getting a huge pop for it. And that was the show. Does that sound like a winner to you? Oh, oh yeah, 100%. Yeah, you're going to go back and watch it now, right? Instant classic. Oh, absolutely. I think this actually, maybe the one noteworthy moment is the fact this was, I think, the first time we've actually seen China take a move, because she's obviously been interfering a whole bunch on DX's behalf and, you know, beating guys up on the outside, interfering, that sort of thing. But I think this is actually the first time where, you know, she actually took somebody else's move. So I guess it's kind of noteworthy for that reason, maybe. And of course, the fact that Savio Vega was main eventing a goddamn pay-per-view in place of Shawn Michaels. (laughs) Of course. Good God. Um, so some quick background information here. No way out of Texas drew a buy rate of 0.52 for an estimated oh, one. Geez. Yeah, not good. An estimated 188,814 pay-per-view buys. By comparison, WCW's Super Brawl 8, which will air one week from tonight and features a main event of Sting versus Hulk Hogan for the vacant WCW World Heavyweight Championship, draws a 1.10 buy rate for an estimated total of 415,000 buys, more than double what this pay-per-view does. Now, if you want to compare this one to the previous WWE, pay-per-view, the buy rate is much lower than last month's Royal Rumble, which drew a 0.97 and had approximately 351,731 buys, but No Way Out's buy rate is actually higher than the previous non-Big 4 pay-per-view called Degeneration X, which aired in December and received a 0.44 buy rate for an estimated total of 159,053 buys. Got all that? So I'm so glad we still have 12 pay-per-views a year. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> was up to like 16 at one point with the WWE. Ridiculous, right? ridiculous amount. Horrendous. So with all that background information, we are now set to dive into the February 16th, 1998 episode of Monday Night Raw from Dallas, Texas, coincidentally enough, the home of WrestleMania 32, which likely has just happened by the time this podcast goes up. I hope it was good. Once again, I'll say it, but uh, I, I, I don't have high hopes. <laughs> so cue up Thorn in Your Eye, the opening pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. But wait, what's this? Jim Ross tells us this is actually Raw Saturday Night, which makes the WWE Network's date of February 16th, 1998 completely inaccurate. That may be the date when it was taped, but airing it on a Saturday night would mean the show actually aired on February 21st, 1998. So why did they have to air Raw on Saturday instead? Uh, because the USA Network had to air an important event called the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show. Duh, people, come on now. And in case you were wondering, your winner that year was a Norwich Terrier named Rocky, but fans who wanted to see wrestling on Monday night would certainly be of the opinion that Rocky sucks. All right. Now, <laughs> so J.R. I'm so, was off. I'm so glad you looked that up. I did. And actually, isn't Paige from Norwich? Yes. So there you go. A, a dog from her hometown won. It all comes yep. full circle. I, I really enjoyed, given that it was a Saturday night, I, I really enjoyed every single time that they were like, come on, this Monday on Raw, big things this Monday on Raw. It was like two days later. Exactly. I love when they spend a bunch of time on the current show, hyping how awesome the next show is going to be. <laughs> yeah. And they actually, just watching you know the next episode of Raw that I'll be covering next time, it's the same sort of thing because the next episode of Raw is also pre-taped. So they're basically like, well, tune in next week, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, they, they're pretty guilty of that. 
I'm of the opinion that in the lead-up to WrestleMania, probably all of your Monday Night Raws should be important, but but I guess that's just me. I guess they don't share the same opinion. Let's don't be stupid. Of course not. (laughs) So JR leads off by telling us that DX is contemplating a lawsuit against Steve Austin because he gave China a stunner at the pay-per-view. Personally, I would like that to happen just so we could see Stone Cold take the stand for (laughs) cross-examination. Examination? Like, Jesus Christ, son, she gave me the finger. How is I not supposed to teach her a lesson? Jerry, if you're with me, give me a hell yeah. I was waiting for the hell yeah back there. Sorry. Hell yeah. And then you can just loop loop that 12 times. Oh, perfect. Okay. So the first match was the Legion of Doom taking on the Quebecers. Solid match here between two veteran teams. After a few minutes of action, the New Age Outlaws wheeled a dumpster to ringside. They then proceeded to beat up Hawk behind the referee's back and throw him inside the dumpster. And then they sat on top of the lid to trap him inside. What Animal went, or I should say, when Animal went to his corner to make the tag, he realized Hawk was trapped in the dumpster, so he grabbed a chair and chased the outlaws away. Amusingly, he needlessly swung a chair at the dumpster right as Hawk popped out of it, (laughs) (laughs) so he almost accidentally hit his own partner with a chair for no reason. Mm -hmm. LOD chased the the outlaws backstage as the referee counted them out, giving the victory to the Quebecers. Your thoughts on this match? Uh, the Legion of Doom have the most boring theme song in history, right? <laughs> well, well, it starts out with that, yeah, what a rush. Yeah, but then the rest of it is just nothing. It's nothing repeated over and over again. It's metal. Um, yeah. Uh, first match of the night, we've already got a dead guy. Um, that's true. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> if you keep count of that throughout the show, that's <laughs> that's really going to add up. Um, I, I have to call out the spot where uh, Animal sends uh, Jean-Pierre Lafitte off the ropes and then drops down so he can hop over him mm-hmm. and the way he dropped down was just by falling leaning backwards until he fell over yeah like falling on his back right no it was like yeah it was like it was like in mortal Kombat when you're trying to do a fatality but you run out of time so the other guy just goes from standing to lying down <laughs> it looks so bizarre yeah I, I, by the way i also like the fact that you're referring to him as jean-pierre lafitte still yeah of course he's just I mean, quebecer he's just quebecer pierre now but uh, but you're you're going by yeah, his well, best gimmick obviously yeah jean-pierre lafitte yeah clearly he stole Bret Hart's jacket. Come on. He did. Yeah, that was pretty impressive. <laughs> Somehow he got a three-month feud with Bret Hart for... <laughs> I don't know. It, it was the new generation. It was a different time. Yeah. But anywho... I, I do want to talk about one thing. After, after sure. this, they had that... You've talked about it in the past, that attitude ad where they're talking about how they're actually athletes. I was just going to mention it, yeah. Okay, so you may have pointed this out, but I enjoy that, that it starts with The Undertaker talking about, oh, I'm six foot four and 250 pounds, whatever he says. Which is fine, but then it goes to Ken Shamrock and Farouk and The Rock, who actually are talking about actual athletic right. uh, accomplishments that they've had. I think The Undertaker is taller than six foot four, by the way, but yes. Whatever I, it was. Yeah, you know. uh, but yeah, you're right, because it's basically Farouk saying, uh, you know, my, my jersey they was were, retired at Florida yeah. State. Ken I Shamrock saying, I was a UFC champion or whatever. Yeah, and then The Undertaker says, I'm, I'm tall and big. But then, of course, my favorite is the Shawn Michaels soundbite where he says, I've suffered a dozen concussions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I know you've mentioned that on the show before. but I have, yeah. I, it, I, enjoy, I enjoy that. Uh. Every time I see that, I just think of Chris Nowinski watching that clip and thinking <laughs> to himself, like, yes, yes, your brain will be mine when you die. Yes. <laughs> and after that, we get a three and a half minute video montage showing China causing various levels of destruction with Michael Cole's narration asking us, why she would want to sue Steve Austin when she herself has caused so much damage since her arrival. Cole then says DX will join us Monday on Raw to clear up this issue, so I guess that means we can safely assume they won't be on the show tonight, which turns out to be true. Yep, it's going to be one of those episodes, folks. Yeah. 
JR, JR describes this as a special look at China. I don't, I don't want to take a special look at China. Oh, um, there are other did, videos where you can do that. Yeah. Did, did we need to see the clip of China low blowing Jim Neidhart like eight times in a row? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe they were just rubbing it in since Neidhart recently debuted on WCW. So they're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, take this and take this. Indeed. So the next match was Ken Shamrock versus Truth Commission member Sniper, accompanied oh by Recon, a.k.a. Bull Buchanan. Did you recognize him there? I did, actually, yeah. B-squared. B-squared, yeah. In the house. Word life. So the Jackal joined the commentary team for this match. Did you have any thoughts on his commentary while he was doing it? I um, I remember when, when I was watching this in 1998, how, how edgy it seemed for him to be using, you know, the phrase... Uh, uh, Whatever it was, intercourse. Yeah. And intellectual like, oh, intercourse. Oh, yeah. Intellectual. Oh, that means sex. And now watching it now, it's like, this is, he's not this kind of boring. This is really kind of dumb. Yeah. He's just kind of a long haired douchebag. Yeah. With a, with a stick on, uh, stick on jewel, plastic jewel in the middle of his forehead. Exactly. He's got a bindi. But, <laughs> but the thing is, the thing with him is like, I think he's going for some sort of like, you know, cult leader type, but it's just not working. No, especially because his cult sucks. Oh yeah, his cult completely sucks. But uh, anywho, so but it, it, it it led us to the oddities, which you'll get to on future episodes. Oh so yes, that. about six months from now, I think. Yeah. But yeah, so it, this was kind of an okay match, which Shamrock obviously won because why wouldn't yeah. he? Sniper tapped out to the ankle lock after the match. Recon ran into the ring to attack Shamrock, but then he got a suplex for his troubles instead. The Jackoff then entered the ring and said a he really, was done. A really awkward-looking suplex. Yes, yeah, it kind of was. Um, so the Jackoff entered the ring and said he was done with Sniper, and he proceeded to slap him across the face. He then turned his back on Sniper, just like he did to Recon last week on Raw, but Sniper shoved him instead. <gasps> what? Recon attempted to play Peacekeeper, and then he and Sniper headed backstage as the Jackoff stood in the ring laughing. After a commercial break, Recon is shown backstage. Jim Ross asks if there's communication breakdown in the Truth Commission. He says no, but then Sniper yells at Recon and says that Jackoff has been doing all the talking while they've been doing all the listening. He says, quote, the hell with the Jackal as Recon looks despondent. Now, you know, for a group which supposedly consists of a bunch of South African guys, I couldn't help but notice that Recon has a Southern accent and Sniper has a French-Canadian accent. <laughs> Kooky. So what do you think about this uh, Truth Commission and angle? God knows what, what accent Kurgan has. <laughs> um, it's garbage. I mean, it, it, it was garbage in 1998 and still still garbage today. Very much so. This is like one of those things where, um, you know, we're in the Attitude Era, but there's still there's still those new generation era remnants hanging around. Um, yeah. You know, it, basically much like, like, like... Like the Quebecers. Like the Quebecers, right? Actually, that's that's even worse because they left and came back in the new in the Attitude Era, I should say. And it's just like, hey, the Quebecers are back in the Attitude Era for some reason. And without the decency to wear their wonderful, you know, red shirts. We're not the Mounties. Yeah. If they came back with that theme, that would have been even better. But uh, I heard a thing. I don't remember what I don't remember what uh, what show it was. It might have been uh, it might have been Cole Cabana's podcast where they were talking about how they actually had to stop referring to themselves as the Mounties because WWE was going to get sued by the RCMP. Nice. For using the, the word Mounties to describe these guys? Yeah, well, I remember back when, when Jacques Rougeau was just the Mountie. Yeah. It, it was kind of, when they went to Canada, I think he had to be a face because 
the Canadians got pissed off that the Mountie was a bad guy. Right. So, so basically, they turned him face anytime they went to Canada. But when they were in the States, obviously, he was still a heel. So, Of course, because he's <laughs> those, those evil Canadians. <laughs> of course. There, there are quite a few examples of evil Canadians in WWF history, but yeah. but there you go. I also just want to point out, going, going kind of back to the beginning of the show, the fact that, that this is a time period where they still announce time limits for matches. Yeah, yeah. And that, that blows my mind, because that never happens anymore. A 20-minute time did. limit. Remember remember when, when it would be 20 minutes or TV time or TV time remaining? Yes. Classic. First, first of all, when Tony Chimmel announces a potential 20-minute match involving one of the members of the Truth Commission, that's not something I, I would root for. I, I was watching, I was watching the, the original WrestleMania the other day, and one of the matches had, I think it was the Intercontinental title match, uh, had a 60-minute time limit. I'm like, please, no. Oof. And the, uh, the Special Delivery Jones-King Kong Bunny match had a 10-second time limit, I believe. <laughs> so they got in just under it. Just, just under, under it. the wire. But yeah, so as you can see with the Truth Commission, it's kind of, you know, there's still the remnants of the new generation, even in the Attitude Era. The best way I can put it is, much like making love to an elderly woman, they're constantly finding themselves in a gray area. So that's kind of how it works. Now, that's the best analogy I could think of. Next up, <laughs> I do my best. Next up, Jerry Lawler is in the ring to interview Mark Merrow and Sable, as two amazing signs are shown in the background. I wonder if you saw them. One was, I do you. Presumably, <laughs> presumably for Sable, although maybe Lawler, I don't know. Was was the other one the one that says Vince hires rapists? That is the one, exactly. <laughs> Vince hires rapists, which I posted on this podcast Twitter, at Raw Attitude Pod, but I also cross-posted it over to Attitude Era Signs, which is another very amusing Twitter. Um, but yeah, the, the, Dallas... the only other sign, The only other sign that I noticed that got a fair amount of TV time and I found it hysterical, actually, was the one that had Sable misspelled. Oh, God. What was it like, Sabel? S A B E L. Yeah, yeah. Sabel rules. There's there's a really good one for next week's episode, by the way. Where and and by good I mean horrendous. Where somebody holds up a sign that says Sonny's panties and there's underwear stuck to the sign. Jesus. That's 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 not good. But anyway. Jesus. But but clearly the moral of the story is the Dallas sign game is on point tonight, folks. Who, who is the ra- who is the rapist though? I was actually going to ask you that at the end of this segment. It was plural, so I guess who are the rapists? Well, I think it's a fair guess to say that might be referring to Pat Patterson from that incident five years prior. But um, I don't know. I think there were a couple other people involved in that sex scandal, but I forget who they were. Um, But yeah, obviously Pat Patterson just ends up being rehired anyway, so maybe that person was making a point. It's funny how quickly that sign disappeared after it got on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Several times. Right behind Sable. I counted notes. at least twice. Oh yeah, absolutely. I kept referring back to it because I was like, "Ah, oh, it's a funny sign. It's a funny sign." <laughs> and then I had to go back and be like, "Oh wait, there's an actual in-ring segment going on here." Yeah. Unfortunately, um, so we got a recap of how a secret admirer has been sending presents to Sable over the past few weeks, including flowers and candy. Lawler starts by flat out asking Mero if they're going to split up. He dodges the question entirely and says Sable is trying to steal his spotlight, but now she knows her place. While he's talking, a man comes to the ring and delivers a vase full of roses to Sable. Mero asks who has been sending the gifts, to which Sable replies, she's just glad someone is actually thinking of her for a change, and then they both leave. You skipped over the best part of that, where Lawler asks the the little shrimpy guy, who is it for? Oh, yeah. yeah. And And he goes, Sable, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. I should have included that. 
you would think the guy delivering the flowers would know. <laughs> would know who they're supposed to be for. Yeah, sab- yeah. Sable, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're for you, King. I, I have no idea. <laughs> but yeah, so so what did you think of this segment? And more importantly, who do you think is Sable's secret admirer? Because I actually legitimately don't remember who it is I or if they ever reveal it. I, I'm I keeping myself either. in the dark for when that actual reveal comes, if it ever does. Uh, I don't remember either. Maybe it's Goldust. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe it's um, Luna. Maybe. I just, I'm just glad that they don't have to bleep when they say WWF anymore. Oh, or yeah. Blur, blur out the old Scratch logo, because these, these Attitude Era episodes would be really awkward. Oh, yeah. They used to blur out, too, like, fans' signs, if they would even hold up, like, a sign that says, you know, WWF, blah, blah, yeah. blah. They would have to yeah. blur that out, too, which was just ridiculous. But, yeah, I agree with you. I'm, I'm glad, no, we're, I'm glad a, we're past that. It was a painful segment. Yeah. The, and the ending was just awful, where she's walking away and he's... Yelling, and he's yelling at her and then says to King, maybe she's just not, maybe she just can't hear me. Well, you have a microphone, dipshit. I think she can hear you. I think she's just ignoring you. Yeah. Because you're an asshole. I also love the fact that, that, like, her, the line when she leaves is like, well, someone's finally thinking about me for a change. It's like, oof, narcissist. <laughs> yeah, but we all know that's true. Yeah, that's true. But anywho, so up next, Jim Cornette cuts another one of his pre-taped work shoot promos with much more emphasis this time on the work than the shoot. He tells us that people applauded him when he said he wanted to bring real wrestling back to the WWF, but then when he delivered the NWA, the fans booed them. He says they're going to get real wrestling tonight, whether they like it or not, and this segues us into our next match, NWA Tag Team Championship match with the champions the Rock and Roll Express accompanied by the aforementioned Jim Cornette taking on the Headbangers. Yeah. James James E. Cornette really forging that partnership between WWF and NWA by calling us all idiots and yelling at us for not liking what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of amusing because before, I don't know if you remember the the segments, I think they used to call him like Crowen with Cornette or something like that. Yeah, where Cornette, like that. Yeah, he would basically do, they were work shoot promos, but the funny thing was he would basically get, you know, three minutes of TV time to just rant about whatever he wanted. So he would sometimes rant against the WWF and in favor of WCW at certain points where he'd be like, you know, Ric Flair is a real wrestler. Shawn Michaels, a prima donna crybaby, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, I mean, those segments were actually very entertaining. And I think they were kind of doing one on this show, except for the fact that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as shooty as his other ones were. It was right. basically just him being like, hey, the NWA is here, but you don't like them, blah, blah, blah. So, whereas before the other ones were very much kind of, you know, a little edgier. Um, but anyhow, so yeah, that was... That was that. Yeah. Did they did they really give the Rock and Roll Express the Rockers old theme song? They did, yes. Okay. Just making sure I wasn't mis- mixing that up somehow. Nope, they absolutely did. It was good to have that back on TV. But anywho, so I thought this was basically a pretty mediocre match. The finish yeah. was rather screwy. The headbangers hit their stage dive finisher, the powerbomb slash second rope leg drop combination. But before Thrasher could pin Ricky Morton, Mosh threw Robert Gibson over the top rope, causing NWA referee Tommy Young to stop his count. He then disqualified the headbangers because, by NWA rules, throwing an opponent over the top rope results in an automatic DQ. Even, hey, if, they're, even if they're the illegal man, apparently. Exactly. I mean, hey, we've had every other possible method of drawing a disqualification on Raw lately, so kudos to them for finding yet another way to get someone DQ'd. As a result, the Rock and Roll Express retained their coveted NWA tag team titles. <laughs> Your thoughts? I actually I actually have a little bit of trivia here. Oh. Because uh, I was looking I was looking things up on Wikipedia yesterday because I was because uh, I, I couldn't believe that in nineteen ninety eight those two old fucks were actually uh tag team champions of anything. Yep. And it turns out they weren't um, the Rock and Roll Express didn't actually win the NWA tag team titles from anyone. 
Uh, they were the titles were awarded to them on January 12th after this deal with WWF was struck because uh, the the then tag team champions uh, Pat and CW Anderson weren't affiliated with WWF at the time. So like so they decided shit we need the the tag titles on uh, on someone who we can use on Raw. Give it to the Rock and Roll Express. Yay. <laughs> Yeah, give it to one guy. I think at this point is thirty nine, and the other is forty one. Yeah, mean, the the fact that that dude is still sporting that bleach blonde ridiculous mullet in the year nineteen ninety eight is absolutely amazing. <laughs> and the other guy's got a lazy eye. So oh, he's he has the laziest of lazy eyes. <laughs> his his lazy eye makes Shawn Michaels' lazy eye seem like a hard worker by comparison. <laughs> Pretty horrendous. Uh, yes, yeah, so after a Mexican that, joke. There's a Mexican joke to be made here, but I'm not going to make it. Oh, God. Well, if you were the head of WWF's uh, social media department, you'd make it. <laughs> Wasn't that the guy who got slapped by Del Rio for making the Mexican joke? Something like that, yeah. Something like that. But they rehired Del Rio, so I guess all's well that ends well. Anywho, so after that, we got a fun little segment. Did you enjoy the M&M's WrestleMania Millennium moment with Andre the Giant choking WWE Hall of Famer <laughs> Bob Huker at WrestleMania 4? Of course. I actually commented on that. The fact that it's 1998 and M&M's is already advertising about the millennium. Yeah, exactly. almost two entire years away. Well, they have M.M. in their name, so obviously that's, yeah, I mean, clearly that's the direction they have to go. I'm assuming, right? Because M.M. is 2000 in Roman numerals, exactly. right? Exactly. Okay. Yep, that's exactly why they were doing that. Yeah, but uh, that, that WrestleMania, though, was pretty god-awful aside from Macho Man winning the title. So I think it's possible that Euchre getting choked was the second-best highlight from that entire show. <laughs> I think so. That and the fact that you cannot understand a word that Andre the Giant is saying. No. Would you Rode get your foot off my shoulder? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure thing. Promos were never his strong suit. I remember no. when he when he beat Hogan for the the title and under screwy conditions, he was like, "And now I sell the world tag team title to Ted DiBiase." <laughs> not good, not good. But anyway, let's queue up. We're all together now, and we're ready to start the second hour of the show. And what better way to start that second hour than with Jim Ross in the ring, waiting to interview Stone Cold Steve Austin, who walks down the ramp and but wait, what's this? He's wearing a goddamn fanny pack. What the hell? I'm sorry, but even if there was a six-pack of Steve Weisers inside that thing, there's still no possible way to wear a fanny pack and look like a badass. <laughs> Poor choice. Poor choice, Steve. That fanny pack is classic. Oh, God. I love I love how they used to pretend that Raw and Raw is War and the Warzone were two separate shows. Right, yep. Because they could sell advertising during Warzone for more than they could during Raw is War because oh, okay. of, of the times. Apparently, the, apparently the, the 10 o'clock hour advertising was more expensive than the, eight, than the 9 o'clock hour. Oh, right. So they'd be saying to, to M&Ms, they'd be saying like, hey, why don't you advertise during the war zone instead of Raw's war instead? Huh? Why do you, you do that? And thank God Lawler is on commentary for the war zone because yes. Michael Cole and Kevin Kelly. Eh, it's not a strong combination. It's not. Kevin Kelly's not bad on commentary now in Ring of Honor. But, uh, but back then, especially with Michael Cole back then. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not good. It's not. Bad combination. Cause that, cause that leaves JR to be the color man and that doesn't work at all. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually on that note, in our sign of the times moment of the night, Jerry Lawler says that JR needs to be careful when he interviews Austin or he'll be singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game with Harry Carey. That is a reference to the longtime Chicago Cubs broadcaster famously portrayed on Saturday Night Live by Will Ferrell, who had just died three days prior. Very if you were a hot dog. Yeah. Would you eat yourself? It's a simple question. If the moon were made of spare ribs, would you eat it? 
I, I know I would. <laughs> Hell, I'd go back for seconds. <laughs> Don't jerk me around. It's a simple question. Don't jerk me around, Norm. It's a simple question. Ah, <laughs> uh, classic. But yeah, he had just died three days prior, so Lawler is basically taking a shot at, at the death of Harry Carey. Awesome. So JR begins by asking Austin why he gave China a Stone Cold Stunner. He says when you step into his ring, your ass belongs to him, and China was lucky he was in such a good mood. He says he hopes Shawn Michaels is at home training right now because he wants him to be 100% when they meet at WrestleMania 14 in five weeks. He then says Mike Tyson better keep his nose out of his business or he'll knock out his gold tooth. He then finishes by saying, quote, the shit's on, getting bleeped, of course, and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold says so. He then follows JR out of the ring, puts on his cowboy hat, jumps up on the announce table, flips off the crowd, and heads backstage. <laughs> what did you think of this Austin promo? It actually brought up a question, because because Austin, excuse me, Austin said shit during his promo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Recon said shit during his promo earlier. Yeah. Were they more prone to swearing during the Attitude Era, or was it just these pre-taped episodes because they knew they were going to be bleeped? Well, Steve Austin's always saying, you know, ass and all that anyway. Yeah, so. but I mean, ass doesn't get bleeped. Shit True. gets bleeped. I, I assume it's probably because they knew this episode would be pre-taped that they felt okay saying shit, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, and I enjoy I enjoyed during the during the replays of of uh, of China and Austin at No Way Out of Texas how large the blur was over her middle fingers. Yeah, like, yeah. We know what's happening. It's obvious what she's doing. Yeah, and also why bother even blurring them when Steve Austin is shown flipping the middle finger every single week anyway? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Boy, uh, maybe they have to pay a fine for it. I have no idea. Uh, but why why was Raw advertised as starting at eight fifty seven? Oh, yeah. Well, wasn't this back in the day where they tried to get the jump on Nitro a little bit? I guess so. Because I think Nitro used to go on the air like three minutes before so Bischoff could spoil the results. <laughs> right. So maybe that was their way of trying to compete with Nitro because Nitro went on three minutes earlier. Yeah. Yeah. He, Bischoff was pretty was pretty much a dick in those times where he was like, well, Psycho Sid beats a big boss man and now you don't have to watch. those times? Yeah. He's still fair. pretty much a dick today. Fair. Fair. But yeah, so uh, our next match was a WWF European title match. Champion Owen Hart versus Jeff Jarrett, accompanied oh. to the ring by Jim Cornette, the Rock and Roll Express, and Barry Windham. And I'm not going <laughs> to lie, when I saw this match was on the card, I actually did mark out a little bit. Obviously, these two go on to become friends and tag team partners in the future. But I definitely was excited to see a match between the two of them here because they're both pretty good workers. Um, my first question I, to you would I be... Was also, I was also just excited to see an Owen Hart match. So Oh, of course, yeah. Um, and my first question to you would be, did you like the classic Aztec warrior outfit that Jarrett was rocking? <laughs> I I mean, I understand what the logo was with the, the two J's, one of the right. backwards, it kind of looks like an arrow, but it was so, it was just some of the, some of the color choices were, were a bit strange at times. Yeah, very much. But in case you fans are wondering, this match was not title versus title. Jarrett's NWA North American Heavyweight Championship was not on the line. Jim Ross tells us that if Owen retains his European title here, he will defend the belt at WrestleMania against Triple H. So before the match begins, referee Earl Hebner orders Wyndham and the Rock and Roll Express to go backstage so they cannot interfere. Now, I assume this decision was made in the interest of fairness, or maybe it's because Hebner feels obligated to help out Owen since he just screwed his brother three months prior. (laughs) Jim Cornette was, of course, allowed to stay at ringside because he has a manager's license. A manager's license. Yep. And just once, I would like to see someone actually show us what these mythical managers' licenses look like, but I feel like I'm hoping for too much there. It's right up there in wrestling lore with these separate pay windows for winners and losers. <laughs> and the patents on uh, on signature and finishing moves. 
Yes, the, the patented finishing move. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I actually really did enjoy this match. Very oh, yeah. fast-paced. Great match. Yeah, lasted about five minutes, which is the rough equivalent of a 15-minute match today when adjusted for Attitude Era inflation. <laughs> and of course, once again, the match finished on somewhat of a down note because it ended with a disqualification. Yeah. Owen put Jared in the sharpshooter, but before he could submit, Cornette ran into the ring and took a swing at Owen with his tennis racket. However... Owen ducked and then put Cornette in the sharpshooter, causing him to tap wildly. Jared attempted to sneak up on Owen and hit him with the racket, but Owen realized it was coming, so Jared and Cornette ran away instead. Man, thank goodness Earl well, Hebner sent Wyndham in the express backstage before the match. I, I wouldn't have wanted to see any outside interference. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say Cornette ran away. Yeah, waddled away. He was selling. He was selling the sharpshooter like his leg was in six pieces. Pretty much. Kudos to the man for for putting it over. But uh, yeah, what were your thoughts on this match? Oh, great match, as it's as expected. Like you said, Owen, Owen and Jeff are are two great workers, uh, and and anything between the two of them is gonna be is gonna be a decent uh, a decent showing. Yeah, absolutely. Even though the NWA angle is pretty stupid, I mean Jared is still very enjoyable at this time. So you know, I uh, no complaints on my end. Well, I guess a complaint aside from the the DQ finish, but that's pretty right. much that's pretty much a standard every single week at this point. Yeah. So. So it's, it's kind of pointless to complain about that. But yeah, really, really solid match. And once again, talk about perfect timing when contrasted to the 2016 product. We get a video montage of Michael P.S. Hayes welcoming him back to Dallas. We then cut back to ringside where we see Hayes heading to the ring so he can be the guest ring announcer for the next, for the next match. And man, oh man, is he rocking an amazing pair of mom jeans. <laughs> Holy shit. Now, Tony Chimmel, however, introduces him by saying, formerly known as Michael P.S. Hayes, Doc Hendricks. So it was so, so awkward. I actually had a comment on that, on that exact thing as well. You know, big, here's your big video piece about the Freebirds. Oh my God, the Freebirds are amazing. Michael P.S. Hayes sang the theme song for the Freebirds. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Doc Hendricks. Exactly. How about, how about we ask him which name he'd prefer? How about that? So, however, before Doc can announce the next match, Kane and Paul Bearer head to the ring instead. For some reason, like every other person Kane interrupts, Doc just stands in the ring instead of running the fuck out of there. He Seriously. takes off his boot. Yep. Well, while JR is yelling at him to get the fuck out of there. Exactly. So he takes off his boot and whacks Kane in the head with it a few times, but it has no effect. Kane hits him with a choke slam and then a tombstone, and Bearer then hilariously looks right into the camera and says, The free bird is grounded! Kane then lights the turnbuckles, and they leave. Your thoughts on Kane sticking up for everyone who has ever been a victim of racism? You, you know you know that Paul Bear has been planning that joke all day. Yeah, he, he was up all night writing that one. Oh, I got the perfect one. This is what I'm going to say. It's going to be great. The free bird is grounded. I, but uh, I enjoyed seeing uh, <laughs> seeing Doc Hendricks take a bump. His, his selling left a bit to be desired. <laughs> yeah, sell the choke slam and the tombstone like you're having an epileptic attack. Yeah. I also wondered, because he actually came to the ring to the Bad Street USA theme, if that was dubbed in later. Because at this... I mean, wasn't he using that basically in in WCW, the Bad Street theme? Obviously, they're still... WCW still exists. They haven't purchased it yet. So was the WWF actually able to use the Bad Street theme, or was that just dubbed in later? I, I don't know. No idea. All I, I, all I know is that there was a lawsuit about it last year. Um, about the so Bad ma- Street theme? Yeah, because uh, apparently they made a sound-alike, and the guy who wrote the Bad Street theme thought it sounded too much like the original and tried to sue for copyright infringement or something. Wow. I think WWF ended up, uh, WWE ended up winning, but uh, 
Huh. I don't remember exactly. Interesting. I think they so they basically just dubbed it over with other stuff like Backstreet <laughs> San Diego <laughs> CA. It's like when uh it's like when uh was it Brian Armstrong was did the fake road dog character in, in WCW? Oh yeah. And so they just they used the same song but changed the order of the notes. Nice. <laughs> did he come to the ring saying, Oh, you were unaware? <laughs> Your posterior head better make a collect call. Or something, I don't know. Your, your posterior head better contact someone on the phone. <laughs> yeah. Using 1-800-CALL-ATT because they're one of our sponsors. Yeah. 10-10-220. Anyway. So next that's up, a, that's Sonny. A, that's a fucking throwback. That's a, that's a deep cut right there. Uh, but yeah, so next up, Sonny heads to the ring to be the guest ring announcer, presumably as the replacement for the recently murdered Doc Hendricks. I was really hoping Kane would come out again. <laughs> that would have been pretty good. Like, <laughs> di- like, didn't you learn the first time? No one's going to be a guest ring announcer tonight. She's a terrible ring announcer, by the way. Yeah, as, she's not that good. As a ring announcer, she is a terrible ring announcer. But she is still getting huge reactions from the crowd, in fairness. Like, people are very happy to see Sonny, and, and rightfully so. That's why it kind of saddens me that she's stuck just being a guest ring announcer because she has so much more to offer. But, uh, you know, what they saddle her with next is not all that great. But, um, yeah, stay tuned for that. So the match is WWF Light Heavyweight Champion Taka Michinoku and Aguila versus Brian Christopher and Pirata Morgan. As Christopher heads to the ring, I don't know if you caught this, he looks into the camera and says, I went out and got me a Mexican. Yeah, baby. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, I had to laugh at that statement for a number of reasons. Number one, it's such a ridiculous statement to begin with. But number two, he literally just teamed with Pantera on last week's episode of Raw. <laughs> and Pantera is, you guessed it, a Mexican. Mexican yes. Got, got me a Mexican? You just had one last week. And Parata Morgan, as you could probably guess from his name, is dressed like a pirate, complete with an eye patch, do-rag, and a jacket and pants with Jolly Rogers on them. That and means I'm guessing, we have... I'm guessing, unlike Jean-Pierre Lafitte, it's not a real eye patch. Right, exactly. I was actually just going to mention that, because that means we have two active pirates on the roster. So if you count <laughs> Jean-Pierre Lafitte, Quebec or Pierre, maybe they need to have a rape and pillage contest to settle who is the superior swashbuckler. That it one would probably have to era. take place. You can do stuff with rape. Yep, that would have to take place in the 10 o'clock hour. Yes. So, actually, quite a few really nice spots in this match, including a corkscrew plancha over the top rope to the floor by Aguila and an Asai moonsault by Taka from the second turnbuckle to Christopher outside the ring. We even got a sunset flip powerbomb by Christopher to Taka, slamming him from the apron to the floor, and he then amusingly said, I think he's dead, and proceeded to put his fingers on Taka's wrist and neck to check his pulse. (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. I missed that somehow. Oh, my God. I remember the spot because they replayed I missed the I think he's dead part. That was great. Yeah, go back and check that part out. Definitely. Um, so Taka spent the majority of the match getting beaten down by Christopher and Morgan, so I was expecting a hot tag at some point. But no, eventually Taka just hit Morgan with the Michinoku driver, a.k.a. the sit-out scoop slam pile driver, and picked up the victory. A bit of a strange finish, but no matter, I really enjoyed the match. How about you? Yeah, I mean, it was it was good for what it was. Um, have you mentioned on this on this program uh, Aguila's future with the company? Uh, not yet. <laughs> yeah. they, would you, they kept, would you they care kept, to? They kept talking about how he's only 19 years old. He's only 19 years old. He would then, of course, grow up uh, and become S.A. Rios, that Correct. classic uh, light heavyweight performer who is who's really only uh, only thing of note in WWE, WWF, WWE was bringing us uh, Lita. So that's correct. Thanks for that, I guess. In the interim, actually, between 
Aguila and Essie Rios, you may forget that he also goes by the name Poppy Chulo. Poppy Chulo, yeah. I think that translates to Pimp Daddy, but I'm not 100% yeah. certain. But, and, but yeah. And my only other question is, why why was JR so dead set on getting Jerry Lawler to admit that Brian Christopher was his son? That was a recurring thing for a while. Yeah, because it, it, was, it, was, it was almost painfully awkward. Yeah, it, for some reason, Lawler is still denying that Brian Christopher is his son. But uh, so J- Jr. is basically just trying to, you know, get him to admit it for yeah, whatever fucking, reason. And he fucking won't let it go. No, every he does time, not. Every time he you know, goes, Daddy dearest, like father, like son. Like every time Jerry Lawler just goes, what? And yeah. that's it. He, like doesn't even say anything about it. But he, Jr. just gets it's like it's like Jr. is like this is his the one thing that he's focused on in life. Is mm-hmm. getting Jerry Lawler to admit that Brian Christopher is his son. Yep. It's just it's so awkward. Sometimes Lawler actually turns the tables on him and says that he's actually Jim Ross's son. <laughs> so, so his uh, his parentage is widely disputed. Apparently. Hey. Um, now, unfortunately, I'm sorry to say this, but there's a bit of bad news which goes along with this match. So, sadly, Adam, I'm sorry to break this to you. But this is the one and only Monday Night Raw appearance for Pirata Morgan. Aww. He's actually actually still an active wrestler in 2016 at the age of 53. But this is his one and only match on Raw in the Attitude Era. Now, because his time is so minimal, I am flummoxed as to whether or not I should even bother inducting him into Wrestler Heaven on this week's episode. So I'm going to let you make the call. What do you think? Is he worthy of Wrestler Heaven? I, I do want to send him to Wrestler Heaven just because I want to hear the sound clip. Well, in that case... Because because you have requested it, because I'm letting you make the call, we will now send Pirata Morgan to Wrestler Heaven. I feel good about it. I feel good about it. How about you? I mean, he just needs to watch out for the Bowflex, but... He does. Although I must admit, I'm not going to play the Chris Benoit sound effect from, from last week's soundbite. I'm going to play a, a different one. Aww. It's it's still a, it's a quality one, but it won't okay. be the Chris Benoit. It won't be, quote, the Crippler Nevermore. It's going to be a different one. So you're just going to have to go back and see which, which soundbite I put in there. I will. I've just ruined the, uh, the mystique of your show. Oh, that's quite all right. <laughs> So the next match was the undefeated Steve Blackman versus Farouk, accompanied by The Rock, Mark Henry, D'Lo Brown, and Kama Mustafa. When you think about it, wouldn't Steve Blackman be a perfect fit for the Nation of Domination just based on his name alone? <laughs> but, never, never mind. Never. Mind. I, actually, I actually did make a Steve the Blackman joke in my notes here. But... Yes. He, he could join him. I mean, we know that a certain Caucasian person ends up joining the Nation of Domination pretty soon, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... But yeah, so before the match, The Rock grabs a microphone, and we see he is holding a present. He tells us there is no dissension in the Nation of Domination, and he then proceeds to give solid gold $15,000 Rolexes to Kama, D'Lo, and Mark Henry. He then tells Farouk he has a special present for him, because Farouk is the only man capable of leading the Nation. Farouk opens it, and 
It's a picture of The Rock holding the Intercontinental title. Farouk throws it to the ground, much to The Rock's displeasure. As for the match itself, it was rather brief. Farouk quickly hit Blackman with the Dominator, but he was distracted by The Rock holding up his own portrait outside the ring. (laughs) Farouk grabbed it from him and then lifted it above his head to hit Blackman with it, but The Rock grabbed the portrait back from him, and when Farouk turned to yell at The Rock, Blackman rolled him up for the three count to remain undefeated. Although... Yeah. Although, really, wouldn't Blackman have remained undefeated regardless because if Farouk had hit him with that picture, it would have resulted in a DQ anyway? Just saying. I guess they just uh, didn't want one more disqualification on the show. Yeah. Oh, well, finally, they held restraint on that because they haven't been doing it in the past. Right. They've definitely been going overboard with the DQs. Um, But after the match, The Rock attempted to give the portrait back to Farouk. Instead, however, Farouk started punching the picture and tearing it up. Farouk then ordered the rest of the nation to head backstage with him as The Rock stood in the ring, looking despondent over his torn-up picture. After a quick commercial break, we see Michael Cole backstage outside the nation's locker room. We hear yelling and banging, and then D'Lo Brown exits. Cole asks him what's going on, and D'Lo says, It's no big deal. They're just packing for a long flight. So good. And as a side note, this is actually the first time D'Lo has actually spoken since I started this podcast. Oh, no shit. Yeah, I don't know if it's the first time he's spoken in his WWF run, but this is the first time he's actually gotten any mic time. He then says that judging by the time on his new Rolex, the interview is over. Your thoughts on the match, the subsequent fallout, and the tension within the Nation of Domination. First off, my comment was I enjoy that that Steve Blackman's Titan Tron just says martial artist. Yes. Um... (laughs) But yeah, man, it's very rude of Farouk. I mean, The Rock spent $45,000.99 on those presents. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I want to know I want to know what the discussion was before before that segment. It was like, "Mark, you're going to hold the sign. I'm going to punch it as hard as I can. <laughs> if I punch you in the face, I'm sorry." Yeah, so be it. <laughs> and and yeah, we're packing for a long flight is one of the best excuses for a fight I've ever heard. Absolutely. Packing for a long fight. I mean, flight. Flight. Sorry, I meant flight. Classic. Uh, but yeah, so obviously, as you can see, quite a few problems within the nation. But uh, I don't know. The Rolexes could be a sign that they're they're potentially favoring The Rock over Farouk. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. Spoilers. Indeed. So as you mentioned at the top of the show, your main event is Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie versus Mark Merrow and the artist formerly known as Goldust, who is actually dressed as... Goldust? I know, I was very disappointed. Yeah, doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose? I didn't even get any of the... I didn't even get an episode with one of the wacky costumes. I know, right? next week. Yeah. Well, tune in on uh, an early January episode where you can see him dress in blackface, so there there you go. (laughs) Which he he still almost does today. Yeah, kind of. He does paint his face black now, but uh, in in a much less offensive way, thankfully. Also, I'm glad glad that that we're, we're at fat Goldust stage. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, well, that is true, too. Um, so Goldust is accompanied to the ring by Luna Vachon, but Mero is not accompanied by Sable, much <gasps> to the chagrin. Yep, much to the chagrin of the chanting crowd. Now, did you happen to notice the giant wet spot on Chainsaw Charlie's ass? No. He, I mean, he is 53 years old at this point, so I suppose it's conceivable he may have actually shit himself. I wouldn't rule it out, but definitely go back and check that out because at the start of the match, there's an enormous wet spot yeah, on I'll his be, ass. I'll be sure to go back to the main event of this of this episode of Raw to stare at Chainsaw Charlie's ass. Exactly. Well, I mean, it's research. Yeah. It's like when, when Sid allegedly shit himself against The Undertaker in that one match. WrestleMania so. 13. Yeah. 
Anywho, so after a few minutes of Funk and Foley doing some actual wrestling, much to the surprise of the announcers, Sable eventually does come to ringside holding the flowers she received earlier tonight. Luna then proceeds to tear them apart as Mero holds Sable back. Goldust and the referee get distracted by this, which enables Foley to grab a chair and hit Goldust with it, allowing Funk to pin him for the victory. The, vic- the show, I should say, ends with Sable attempting to go after Luna, with Mero trying to hold her back as we go off the air. Now, funny enough, just a few days prior, I had watched the episode of Jerry Springer's Too Hot for TV episode called Bloopers and Blunders, and this exact ending was featured because Sable's titters fall out of her top about 78 times while Mero <laughs> tries to restrain her. You're welcome, America. And you can actually, actually kind of see it with I was that. actually going to comment on that because Jerry Lawler was freaking out that they not end the show. And I'm like, did Sable's tits pop out? Is that why Jerry Lawler's freaking out? They did, and you can kind of see the camera uh, goes to like a further out angle as opposed yeah. to like you know the up close one. So yeah, that's that's basically what happened there. Um, so Adam, we can discuss your thoughts on the entire episode in just a little bit, but first, I want to know how you felt about this match and the main event segment as a whole. Uh, we're we're going to put main event in quotes here. Um, yeah, because it was nothing. Uh, it was nothing spectacular. Um, yeah, I did enjoy the the quote unquote chain wrestling by by McFoley. Chainsaw wrestling? And the rest, and the, the commentators being surprised at that. But uh, but the match itself was really nothing except to get to the whole Sable Luna thing. Yeah, which is, which is quite something that you're ending Monday Night Raw with Sable and Luna going after each other. That's, you know, I guess that kind of shows you how low on the totem pole this episode was yeah, when, was when nothing, that's... This was nothing, nothing to write home about. Not at all. That's what you get when you don't have DX on the show. I guess they got to fill it some other way. Um, like the one, yeah. the one important thing that happened was Stone Cold Steve Austin, and that segment was what three minutes? Pretty much, maybe, maybe five. Yeah, so, somewhere around there. Basically, just Austin cutting a promo, uh, which is mostly all that he's done over the past six months. Because you know, with the with the neck injury from SummerSlam, they're still not really having him wrestle. The only wrestling match he had was a couple weeks ago against Road Dog where it was literally 15 seconds and then it was a DQ. So what? He's, a disqualification. I, th- I don't believe that. I know. The one the one thing you skipped over that I enjoyed was uh there was a segment in the in the parking area where where Michael Cole was back there trying to get trying to get word with the the new age outlaws and they get ambushed by by Chainsaw Charlie and Cactus Jack. Oh, did they show that? Yeah, it was on the network. And, oh, because uh, that's actually they show that on next week's episode too. Are, are you talking maybe about that the, was next week's episode? Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe you went one did episode I ahead. That? I did. I think you maybe might. I did because I was looking for uh, looking for the big announcement that they kept teasing, and then I couldn't fucking find it. So, oh. I'm sorry. so you're right. I did skip ahead. I apologize. That was next spoiler week. for next week. Was yeah. I think the big announcement they teased for next week was a quote big sports superstar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which they said would be revealed on next week's episode of Raw. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying I'm to find out what sure. that was, and I couldn't fucking find it. I'm pretty sure I know who that sports superstar is, and let's just say uh, I think he has an altercation with Kane at the upcoming oh, okay. WrestleMania. Okay. I'm pretty sure. I'm it's pretty that, sure that's who they're that teasing. One. Okay. Yeah, and that. And by the way, just in advance, I'll just say if you want to talk about a guy coming to the WWF from you know another world and just totally getting it, that they picked the right guy because he totally gets it. You know what I mean? In his segment with uh, with Kane before he gets attacked, where he's kind of mocking the crowd because he's basically like, "I know people hate me. I'm coming from another world. I'll come into the WWF. I'll mock the fans. They'll hate me. It'll be great." And then he takes a tombstone pile driver. It's it's amazing. Yeah, and then so, he takes and then he does that for like three years in a row. Exactly. <laughs> so if you haven't guessed who we're talking about yet, you'll you'll probably figure it out in the coming weeks. But yeah. um, 
But yes. His name, his name is Phil Dandelion. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, the, the uh, main event segment there, yeah, not all that great. But No, and anyway, the show itself was not all that great. Um, it is, but we'll touch on that in a little bit. But for now, let's go to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed MCs back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. A freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been thugging. Then he passed out more hoes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas, out of my fucking mind. They won't let me back in. Cause I was down before the heights like Dusty Rhodes and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now the rockin' Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster pluckin'. Chickens when they cluckin'. Cause WWF stands for women where we fuckin'. The ratings recap. Now, admittedly, it's not exactly fair to compare ratings for these two shows because they did not go head-to-head. Nitro aired in its regular Monday time slot while Raw was shown on a Saturday night where television viewership is traditionally very lousy. With that being said, the unopposed episode of Nitro drew a 5.1 rating, which for those of you scoring at home is WCW's highest rating of all time up to this point. And the Saturday episode of Raw actually drew a 3.0 rating, which is actually not that far off from the 3.2 they scored last week in their regular Monday time slot. So all in all, not a terrible showing from the WWF. Alternatively, here is what you could have been watching on Nitro on their go-home episode before Sunday's Super Brawl 8 pay-per-view. Goldberg defeated Hugh Morris. Sick Boy defeated Mark Starr. The Public Enemy defeated The Outsiders by DQ. Mike Enos defeated Barry Horowitz. What? WWS Horowitz? How can the WWF survive? Eugene Nagata defeated Laparka. Ultimo Dragon Wait, defeated Wait, w- WCW has Eugene? <laughs> yes, Eugene <laughs> Nagata. He's Eric Bischoff's cousin. Obviously, he'd be in WCW at some point. Yeah, yeah. Ultimo Dragon defeated Kidman. Here's, here's the good one. The Barbarian defeated Ming, which means the Faces of Fear powers have exploded. <laughs> Perry Saturn defeated Rick Martell. Remember that for 10 seconds from now. Kurt Hennig defeated Bobby Eaton. The Steiner Brothers defeated Buff Bagwell and Scott Norton, a.k.a. Vicious and Delicious by DQ. The aforementioned Rick Martell defeated Booker T to win the WCW World Television title. Now, yes, you heard that correctly. 41-year-old Rick Martell lost his first match of the night, but then pulled double duty and wrestled again later in the evening where he beat Booker T to win the TV title. How's that WCW booking for you? Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko defeated Chris Jericho and Eddie Guerrero. Definitely go watch that match. And Lex Luger and Sting defeated Hollywood Hogan and Randy Savage by DQ. One other highlight, I guess you could say, of this Nitro was the debut of Brian Adams, a.k.a. the former Crush, who jumped Bret Hart and joined the New World Order. Does this sound like a show you would have wanted to watch? Was was there a reason given for Rick Martell doing double duty, or was it just, hey, it's Rick Martell again? Uh, You know, I didn't go to in-depth into it. I could okay. look that up. Uh, maybe he was owed a title shot. I don't know. But but even <laughs> the decision like, for, for Rick Martell, of all people, to beat Booker T, I, the, I don't know. The match with Perry Saturn was a number one contender's match, but it's whoever loses the matches becomes the number one contender. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, sounds like a... Uh, I never... I, I uh, We've talked about this on my show a lot. I've never watched... I never watched WCW mm-hmm. uh, Nitro until I got to college. Uh, and then we would watch, and that was 2000. So I literally watched maybe the last 13 months of yeah. WCW, the the garbagest of months. Um, oh yeah, and watching the midnight replays after Raw was over. So I really don't have that much of a historical perspective on on Nitro or the Monday Night Wars. But it sounds like a decent episode, and it got a fucking five point whatever. So it did, yeah. So you were basically WWF all the way. You didn't even switch over, even when the NWO debuted. 
Absolutely. There was a kid. This is actually a funny, kind of a funny story. There was a kid in my in my high school. He was a, a class or two below me who would see me in the halls and knew that I was a wrestling fan. And he would throw up the Wolfpack sign. Yeah. Be like, come on, come on. I would. I absolutely refused to do it back to, to him. You could have done the same symbol back, but been like JBL Texas Longhorn. Suck it. <laughs> loyal to the, I, I was the same way too. I was loyal to the WWF, but I definitely did do a bit of channel surfing occasionally to see what the NWO was up to in the early never, days. Never, you know, when, when Hogan recently had turned heel, because that was such a monumental event. I was like, well, I, I have to flip over now and see what's going on. Not even, not even in the dregs of the Monday Night War that I saw. Good for over. you. When they were still trotting out Mantire and Freddie <laughs> Joe Floyd. <laughs> Yeah, when they were making Caddyshack jokes on the SummerSlam pre-show. Not even then. Yeah. When T.L. Hopper was main eventing. Yeah, I don't know if T.L. Hopper ever main evented. Maybe, Probably maybe, not. Maybe superstars, maybe superstars, but but not on Raw. But uh, anyway, so as for the actual episode of Raw, what were your thoughts on this episode? I, I give it a solid eh. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, some of the matches were good. Like you said, we get we had uh, we had Owen Hart versus Jeff Jarrett, which uh, apart from the ending was was decent. The tag team, uh, the tag team match itself, again, apart from the ending, uh, was pretty decent. Uh, the the headbangers, Rock and Roll Express, not the not the Legion of Doom Quebecers. Um, well, I liked the light heavyweight tag match. Yeah, I mean, there were there were there were good matches, but uh, nothing really, n- nothing really seemed to hold the show together. There right. was no there was no no weaving of anything between it was just like this just happened now there's this and yeah. so it was like everything everything seemed like its own disjointed segment uh maybe because it was because we didn't have dx to kind of work right. with the uh, with the austin thing like like on last week's episode where, where austin stole the belt um yeah the lack of dx definitely stood out to me because they had just main ev- well hunter herself had just main evented the pay-per-view on sunday yeah. With with the outlaws and obviously you know Savio Vega replaced Shawn Michaels, but we and, got. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, and you could tell they were trying to cover for that by constantly mentioning it, like, yeah. oh, they might sue, China might sue Stone Cold Steve Austin, so be sure to tune in for that in three days. Um, yeah, but but, uh, but we're, we're not gonna talk about that tonight. We'll show you this video package and talk about how you, you should watch Raw in, in three days to to see to see what happens from that. But we we not we can't actually touch on that tonight because nobody's fucking here. But uh, yep. like you said, maybe it was because because it was a Saturday Raw. And like you said, because viewing on Saturday is not normally uh, uh, the best, maybe they, they, they weren't trying as hard. Uh, and like you said, it was a pre-tape, and so maybe they weren't trying as hard for that as well. Even though it was in the schedule, it was a live episode because it was the, the it was the Monday taping, but then they right. didn't show it until Saturday. Exactly. It was just yeah. a, it was just kind of a weird a weird episode. Yeah, and that's I apologize because I when I bring guest hosts on, my goal was to have them. Uh, have it be a live episode for every single guest well, host because it so much more happens. It would have been a live happens. episode if it hadn't been for those goddamn dogs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, shit, that's why WBF left the USA Network when they went to TNN. Exactly, they yeah, because they the, kept... One of, the, one of the conditions of them coming back was you will not preempt us for that goddamn dog show. Yeah, and, and honestly, if I'm the USA Network, is there any way the Westminster Dog Show does bigger ratings than Raw? <laughs> I would think no. Like, wouldn't you want to show Raw instead and maybe show, you know, the, the dog show on a sister network? I, maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was a contract thing. Who knows? Maybe. Um, and also, in, in the future, I think the U.S. Open preempts Raw at some point, too. Um, the, the tennis tournament. Yeah. But um, 
we'll get to that when we get there as well. But yeah, overall, pretty mixed bag. Surprisingly, the wrestling on this show was a lot better than it usually has been. But the lack of DX really stands out. The fact that even Triple H and China weren't on the show was kind of strange because obviously they had just been on No Way Out of Texas. And I obviously, had that major angle in the main event. But we'll yeah, tune into in next week for that. Well, actually, spoiler for next week. Next week is a pre-taped episode, and DX is not live on that show either. They just do a <laughs> they do like a a pre-taped segment from Shawn Michaels' house, but they are not actually in the arena for the next show either. So Jesus. they're taking a really nice vacation, basically. Yeah, so yeah, I guess I, I I guess it makes sense for Shawn Michaels to not be around because his back is obviously very fucked up. But I mean, Triple H, why aren't you on the show, buddy? Come on, make it happen. So yeah, and I guess it, if you don't have anything else to add, we can uh, leave it at that. Yeah, I mean the only the only the only real thread through the episode was the whole was Mark Merrow and Sable, and that's uh, right. that's not a good sign. <laughs> no, no, no. She's uh, she's just such a huge star. You can't you can't contain her to one segment. You gotta you gotta give her that main event spot. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. And yeah, I, I want to thank Adam very much for joining this joining me this week on the show. I should say. Uh, would you care to plug your side projects one more time before we depart? Sure. Uh, like I said, the Rundown Wrestling Podcast uh, available on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, again, just search for the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, and it comes right up. We are weekly. Uh, we usually record on Wednesdays uh, live on Google+, Plus, so that'll broadcast live over YouTube or, or via Google Hangout, um, and, uh, and then it gets posted usually that night. Um, so check us out. Facebook is facebook.com slash rundownwrestling. Uh, Twitter is at rundownpodcast. Um, and again, we're on uh, iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, I also ring announce for some local uh, some local wrestling companies, but you can tune into the rundown to get those dates. Would you care to ring announce for Biggest Legends of Wrestling (BLOW) if uh, if they call me? Perfect. Well, I, I have uh, I have some connections there, so okay. I'll, I'll see what I yeah, can do. Good luck. Good luck with your training. Yeah, and, and also uh, you know the rundown you had mentioned because this episode is going to go up on Monday as the other ones do. If you're listening to this episode right now, you can then watch the rundown the next day and see. Raccoon Reigns on the show live on Tuesday as they recap uh, WrestleMania 32. Well, it'll probably be Wednesday, but we seem, oh, to, be, Wednesday, we seem okay. to be on a Wednesday kick now, given that most of my most of my uh, co-hosts aren't available Tuesday nights. There you go. Well, well, even better, that gives you gives you more time to to put it on your calendar to tune in for the show. So the WrestleMania 32 recap, if you're listening to this right now, uh, will be going up on Wednesday, and you can listen, you can tune in, you can see. The Talking Raccoon. You can see Adam and whoever else might be on the show. Yep, we're going to talk about NXT TakeOver Dallas. We're going to talk about WrestleMania 32. And we're going to talk about Raw the next night and somehow try to keep the episode under five hours. Perfect. <laughs> well, I will say right now, you've already eclipsed the longest episode uh, from the one that Andy and I did two weeks ago. So see, we've set a new record going yeah. uh, about an hour ten so far. I'm a record breaker. Very nice. <laughs> so on that note... Thank you to our fans for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Drop us a line at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at rawattitudepod. Before we go, Adam, I will ask you the same question I asked Andy when he was on the show two weeks ago. Do you have an all-time favorite wrestling moment or promo? If so, I will play it at the conclusion of this broadcast. If not, it'll probably be a horribly awkward clip like, oh, pfft. I don't know. Vince McMahon telling Jonathan Coachman how much he enjoyed making out with Mae Young. Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. Um, 
honestly, the first one that springs to mind is actually the one from the night after WrestleMania 14. Oh, the the DX promo uh, with uh, ah. with uh, Jason Sensation as Shawn Michaels. Well, that's not the night after. Oh, that's no, that's that a little was further down. A the couple line. weeks later, yeah, that's right. The, the night after WrestleMania, spoiler alert, is the one where uh, he forms the DX army. Right, but yeah, the one with the one with Jason Sensation, uh, either either that or the Nation promo with Jason Sensation as uh, as Owen Hart. But I think the one where he he comes out and just Triple H keeps accusing him of dropping the ball. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. Is, is a good one. I th- that one is a little That's... harder to find because I'm pretty sure that when he's acting as HBK, I'm pretty sure he refers to himself, Jason Sensation does, as HB Gay. <laughs> so I think that one's a little harder to track down. I will try to track it down. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It, that, that clip will be at the very end of the show here uh, if I can find it. If not, but, the, uh, thing about, the thing with Jonathan Coachman would be fine. Okay, perfect. <laughs> So we'll leave it at that. There you have it. We'll end the show on that note. I will see you all next time and be sure to tune in to the Rundown Wrestling Podcast and we will catch you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Was that Harry Carey? Sean, you you dropped the ball again. And if anybody knows about kissing sphincters, it's me, the Iconum, the main event. The showstopper! Look at the corporate team huddling in the middle of the ring. I said all this talk about sprinters! It put me in the zone! It's Barnacle Shuffleton! The Grog thinks maybe Kenny should switch to decaf. But in other words, corporation... If you don't get what DX is saying, then there's only one thing, and the crop means one thing left to say, and that we've got two words for you. One. Maybe a little kinky, but uh, kind of liked it. I guess you've never heard of the expression.